First Samuel in chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17 this morning. I'm going to begin in verse 32, and I'll be skipping some of the verses as we read to verse 50. Please follow along with me. In verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with your sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. It's an iconic story in the, in the Bible. It, it's all, all these stories that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, more than just a few weeks, are iconic stories. We're in a series entitled New Lessons from Old Stories, and Pastor John talked to us last week about a man named Samuel who was told by God to seek out and anoint a new king, and we were introduced last week in our series to a young man, really just a boy. His name was David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the, on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And what we find throughout the Scriptures is, is the coming of the Spirit of the Lord is always associated with some sort of boldness or strength or courage. We see it in the story of Gideon that we talked about just a few weeks ago and, and how the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he led his people to defeat the, the, the Midianites. And then we saw the story of Samson and how he was confronted by a lion and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he had this strength and he, he tore apart this lion with his bare hands. And then we even see in the, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4, we have the disciples and they're uh, told, you cannot preach the good news, the gospel here. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they preached the good news with great boldness. I think that even though we live in this world that's safer than it's ever been. I, I, my observation is that there is more fear and more worry and more anxiety than, than there's ever been. I don't know if you've ex- observed that also. 
in this text here in 1 Samuel chapter 17 is all about where do we get courage from? And where, where does this, this courage come from? And so what we're going to do here just, just briefly today is take a look at three figures of courage in this narrative in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll take a look at Saul as a figure of courage, or a, not really a figure of courage, a, a look at Goliath, and then, of course, at David. So the first is, and there's some notes in your worship folder you might want to pull out and fill in the blanks here. The first fa- figure or face of courage is Saul, who had a lost courage. You see in verse 32, David says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. You see, the point of verses 1 through 31 in chapter 17 is that Saul and the rest of the Israelites lose heart. And to lose heart is to lose courage. Just a a quick recap of verses 1 through 31. The Israelites and the Philistines are engaged in an epic battle. And, And both armies are camping around a huge valley. The Israelites on one side are camped on a mountain range, and then the Philistines on the other side camped on a mountain range. And the bottom of the valley was no man's land. It was the death zone or the, the dead zone. And the price was high for this epic battle. The nation who would lose would be the slave of the victorious nation for many years to come. And so enter the Philistine Goliath into the valley of no man's land. It's the dead zone. And in verses 10 and 11, the Philistine Goliath says, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified at Goliath's words. Now there it is. It's right there. Saul the king is not acting kingly here. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart. If you have a pencil or a pen and you have your Bibles open, underline those words, lose heart. Because to lose heart literally means to let one's heart fall, to fall down, to fall away, to, to, to fall back. And to lose heart is to lose courage. And this, of course, is key to any battle. You can't fall down in a battle. You can't fall away. You can't fall back. And some might say in our world today, our, our culture, our postmodern world, that's safe and sterile and orderly. That courage is not needed anymore. Well, courage is needed, I think, for for some. I mean, you think of the military, you think of soldiers, you think of first responders, you think of rescue workers. And, you know, some of the most courageous men and women I know are courageous in their work in the military and in fire rescue and law enforcement. They're courageous in their work. But... Some have no courage when it comes to being humble and loving and tender to their spouse and their children. It's courage at work, but not courage in all of life. And that's what we're looking for. It's, it's courage in all of life. You see, courage is not just facing physical danger and death. Courage is this. Courage is facing your heart's greatest nightmare, your heart's ultimate fear, and doing the right thing anyways. We need courage, so how do we get it? Well, our example here certainly isn't Paul, Saul, who lost his courage. Number two, the second figure of courage would be Goliath, and we'll call this a a false courage of sorts, a false courage, because 
You know, when I've, when I've read this story in the Bible and I've, I've uh, heard it taught to me in Sunday school as I was growing up, the conventional lesson of this story, I think you know it, the, the old lesson, if I could say even the, the tired old lesson of this story is that Goliath represents what? Your greatest fear, right? And then David represents our example and our inspiration for how to overcome your greatest fear. And that's the lesson of this text that's been told over and over and over again. And the moral of this story is what? It's be like David, right? It's, it's don't fear. In fact, stuff your fear. Because the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? You know that story. It's old. It's tired. Is this lesson that you've learned for so many years transformative? I, I don't. Does this lesson even help? I don't think so. What this text really gives us here, the narrator gives us two alternative views of heroism and courage. Goliath's representation of courage and then David's representation of courage and heroism. You choose one or the other. Goliath represents the conventional or the the world's conception of courage and heroism. See, Goliath has an arsenal. Let's, let's, let's take a look at this in verses 4 through 10 in chapter 17. It says, a champion. So the narrator calls him a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. He had a bronze javelin slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and it weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. And Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. You see, in Goliath's arsenal, he had... What's, what's, what's easy to have courage with? The first thing, he had brute strength, didn't he? He was nine feet tall. He, he had armor that weighed 125 pounds. He had a spear point that weighed 15 pounds. Just think of, on a long stick, something that weighed at the very end, 15 pounds. He had brute strength. The second thing that Goliath had in his arsenal was the latest technology, if I can call it that. Okay, he had the latest technology. It, you notice that you read that passage of scripture and it, everything was bronze. That was the latest in, in protective metals of that day. He had a javelin and a spear, not just a sword. He had a guy that was carrying his shield. If Goliath was high tech, think about what David was. Definitely low tech, right? He had brute strength. He had the, the, the latest technology. And then he had positive thinking. He certainly did. He had self-esteem. He he was nine feet tall. He was strong. He had self-esteem. If he had any fear or concern, he probably stuffed them and thought positive thoughts about his strength, about his size, about his armament, and his weapons. He had no fear, and he had no doubts. And this is the Goliath approach to courage, if you want to call it that. This is the world's approach to courage. Get stronger, train harder, get the latest technical gadget, and visualize success in winning. In fact, strategically, let's think about this story now. Strategically, this is the reason why Goliath loses the battle, if you think about this. Because he believes he's impenetrable, he loses touch with reality. 
and that makes him vulnerable. There was a woman named Edith Corse Evans. She was a, a wealthy, single socialite from London, England. Edith was, was 36 years old when she boarded the Titanic. While on board, she made a friend. Her name was Caroline Brown. She was, Caroline was 59 years old. She was uh, just sort of a regular wife and mother from New York City. While the tragedy of the Titanic happened, and as the ship was sinking, uh, Edith Evans, Edith Corse Evans, ran towards the lifeboat, and there she saw her friend that she made on board, Caroline Brown. As they approached the lifeboat, the, uh, one of the, the ship's officers said, there's only one seat left. And Edith Evans pushed Caroline Brown forward and said, um, you have someone waiting for you in New York. Go ahead. And Edith perished in the sinking of the Titanic. So my question is, how did Edith Corse Evans develop her courage to do this heroic thing? I don't think it was through positive visualizations of success. I don't think she trained at the London YMCA and swimming and thought that she could make it to shore. I don't think it was through brute strength or the latest technology or positive thinking. You see, we need something in our lives that gives us strength to do the right thing in spite of the thing that we fear the most. Fear is good. Fear is good because it keeps us in touch with reality. But we need something that will help us to make that right decision in the midst of your greatest nightmare because that's what true courage is about. So we have Saul, we have Goliath. Let's take a look at David who gives us true courage here. What's the expression of true courage and, and, and the, the source of true courage? Well, we find in verse 45 in chapter 17, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spirit and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And here is the, sort of the crux verse of this whole story. And people say, there it is, verse 45. This is the biblical understanding of courage. And oh, if we only had the faith of David, and preachers will preach this scripture, and they'll say, if you had the faith of David, my brothers and sisters, then you will have true courage. And preachers will say, all over this nation, they'll say, if you have the faith of David, then you can handle any fear and any nightmare and any hardship in life. And this might be true, but it's really not helpful when you think about it. Some people might think, if I have this faith, then God will bless me and nothing bad will happen to me. I think that's just a spiritualized version of Goliath's false courage. But what we find in David is something very unconventional. It's true courage. This is a story of courage like perhaps you've never heard before. David does not inspire us as a church family to bind together, to be in uni unity, to go against the great giant. David does not call us to positive thinking for success. But David has some courageous, if you want to call them courageous, attributes. I struggle with calling them courageous attributes, but we will for our purpose today. The first of David's courageous attributes is he is weak. If you can think that's courageous. 
the Savior in this story, David, David is weak. He's little, he's vulnerable, and he's too small for Saul's armor. He is not successful in spite of his weakness. He is successful because he is weak. Do you see this in the story? It's only because he looks so silly out there, and he's so unarmed, and he's so weak, that he wins. He comes without armor, without a sword. It's because he's so weak that he wins. The second courageous attribute of David, and and this is really it right here, he is a representative. He is not an example. He is not a substitute. He is a representative. Take a look at verses 8 and 9. Goliath says, Am I not a Philistine, and you, are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Get this. He says, If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. See, I, I don't really get that. Just choose one man. I'm a big giant. You don't have a guy big enough for me, but just choose one. And I'm thinking, if I'm on the Israelite side, I say, I'm not going to bring one. I'm going to bring the whole army against Goliath. But Goliath says, No, these are the rules. You just bring one. It's mano a mano here, right? But, but what he says here is, if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. Not I will become your subject. And if I overcome him and kill him, you all will become our subjects and serve us. You see, this is called representational fighting, and it was done all the time back then. Christ was not fighting, I mean, David was not fighting for them. He was fighting as them. What happens to David, win or lose, courageous or cowardice? If David wins, the people win. If David loses, the people lose. If David is courageous, the people are courageous. If David's a coward, the people are all cowards. What happens to David, get this, is imputed to the people. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read about the great heroes of the Bible. I mean, you've, you've maybe read this before, and it says, tells us, remember Abraham, remember Moses, remember David. But then we get to chapter 12 in Hebrews, and it says something different. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember these guys, but when we get, fix your eyes on Jesus. Take a look at verse 1 and through 3 here on the, on the screen. It says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes or fixing our eyes on Jesus, the champion. Remember Goliath was the the champion? Now Jesus is called the champion here, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. God sent the ultimate David in Jesus Christ. Jesus was weak. He was was little. He did not save us in spite of his weakness like David did, but he saved us through his weakness. He did not save us from physical death like David did, but from eternal death. He did not save us at the risk of his life like David did, but he saved us at the cost of his life. What's your worst fear? Your, your, your biggest nightmare in life? Really, when it really comes down to it, what is it? 
as I think about my worst fear, my biggest nightmare in life, I, I get emotional about this, but I think my worst fear, my biggest nightmare is going before God and making a, an account of my sin, of, of my sin, of putting myself at the center of my life and going before God and making an account of that, all my lies and all my lusts and all my selfish acts and all my gossip and all my pride and no amount of preparation, no amount of preparation or positive visualizations for me will help me in that moment to reconcile my sin before God the judge. But Jesus, as our representative, went into the valley of death before God at the bar of justice to take full responsibility. And he said, I will pay the consequence. My death will count as their death. Jesus Christ was perfectly brave in your place. Jesus, with true courage, faced off the ultimate nightmare and gave his life for you. Jesus the courageous, Jesus the brave, faced off the ultimate nightmare and he gave his life for you. Amen. Amen. And with this truth, we remember his death and his sacrifice in the Lord's Supper today. I'm going to ask the members of the pastoral staff and the board to join me in front.